I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page, where I, your caffeine-imbued host, think with my mouth open. Today, uh, we're going to take a break. We're still in Leviticus, but chapters 1 through 7 are finished, where he talks about the sacrifices, and the author of Leviticus is starting to go in a different direction, starting chapter 8. So I thought I would just give a 10,000-foot view of uh, what I have learned in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. By the 10,000-foot view, I mean it's as if I'm flying in a plane at 10,000 feet, and I can see the big picture below. I don't see a lot of the details, but I see the big picture, how everything fits together. And uh, if if I had one um, fault when I was younger and studying the scripture, I would immediately jump in to the deep end of the pool and start waiting around in all the cool little details of the language, culture. You know, all this stuff's good. It's amazing. And there's a lot of stuff to learn. But a lot of times you lose sight of the impetus of a passage by not considering the big picture first. So I've learned to back up and get the 10,000 foot view. In essence, that's what this devotional approach to the Bible has done for me this last couple of years. Um, I've got an overview of the New Testament that I never had before. And I'm getting an overview of the Old Testament that I never had before, which is really amazing to me. In fact, I'm finding that to be uh, of such value that there's so much for me in just the overview that I'm overwhelmed and I'm I'm just blessed beyond measure. So what I'm going to do is just give the 10,000-foot view of the first seven chapters, what I've learned from Leviticus. So let's just get to it. What I've learned so far. First of all, I was surprised to find out who actually slaughtered the sacrifice. When the person brings a sacrifice, a lamb, goat, bull, whatever, uh, to the priest, he offers a sin offering, guilt offering, whatever, they, they slaughtered the animal. I don't know why I just figured that they would just bring the animal to the priest and the priest would slaughter it and gut it and split it up. And No, the person who brings a sacrifice slaughters that sacrifice. This is a picture of the fact that we, for whom the sacrifice was intended, slaughtered the Lamb of God. It's a, all these sacrifices point to a facet 
of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And when I discovered that the person bringing the sacrifice is the one who actually slaughtered that sacrifice, it hit me really, really hard. It drove home the fact that my sin, we've always heard this said, my sin put Jesus on the cross. But somehow when I put it in, the, in, the, in this, when I put it and phrase it this way, that I slaughtered the lamb of God, it makes it much more personal and hits very deeply. My sin put him there. And the person who brings the sacrifice, the person for whom the sacrifice is intended is the one who actually slaughters that sacrifice. Whew. Now, number two here, the fact that sacrifice was to be made for when we sin unintentionally, because there's a lot of times you hear that phrase, if someone sins unintentionally against his neighbor, etc., points to the fact that our nature is sin because that's our instinct. You act according to your instinct. You know, I gave the example of if you put uh, a bowl of lettuce in front of a cat, the cat will never eat the lettuce. Why? Because it's not the cat's nature to eat lettuce. The fact that sacrifice had to be set aside for people who sin unintentionally tells you that it's their instinct to sin. That's their nature. And that brought up the fact that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We can't help it. That's who we are. That is our nature. And the fact that our instinct is to sin, we aren't good people who sometimes do bad things. We are, in fact, a sinful people who will always do evil things. And this brings up a very powerful thought. We are therefore, by virtue of our nature, enemies of God. You can't avoid that conclusion. God hates sin. And if our nature by itself is a sin, we are at war with God. Our nature is to be an enemy of God. Now, when the one who brings a sacrifice lays his hand on the sacrifice prior to slaughtering that animal, which is what he was supposed to do. He's identifying with that sacrifice, recognizing that the death of the innocent exonerates him from that sin. You lay your hand on the sacrifice, you're identifying with that sacrifice and you're identifying with its purpose. Its purpose is to remove sin from you. For Jesus' death to be efficient for the person that, that person has to identify with Jesus. See, it's like once Jesus died on the cross, his, uh, I heard a preacher say once, his death was sufficient for all, but efficient for only some. Who are the some? Well, the people who it's efficient for are the people that identify with that sacrifice. When the man lays his hand on the sacrifice, he's identifying with its purpose, why it, that sacrifice has to be given. And he's also identifying with the fact that once the sacrifice is made, he's exonerated from that sin. He's been redeemed. So 
for Jesus' death to be efficient for the person, that person has to identify with Jesus, recognizing that he is in need of the sacrifice of the lamb, recognizing his own sinful nature is in need of that sacrifice, uh, of what that sacrifice purchases for him, namely redemption, in order that relationship with God can be achieved. Relationship with God cannot be achieved unless the sacrifice is identified with and that person places himself alongside that sacrifice and identify. It's like, yes, Jesus' death for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right, he gave his son for the world, but only some people in the world will bow their knee to him. The only people for whom that sacrifice is efficient are those who identify with the sacrifice. You recognize why you're there. Why am I there? I've sinned. This sacrifice is necessary. You're there. You have to recognize what that sacrifice buys for you. It's redemption. You need the sin. You need, uh, you need the redemption that sacrifice brings to you. And when you lay your hand on it, you identify with it and you identify with its purpose and relationship with God is desired. You wouldn't be there if relationship with God wasn't desired. Why would people even bring sacrifices? Well, because they sinned and they want restoration of the fellowship with God. They want to maintain their place as a, as a spot with God's people. Jesus died. He's the lamb of God. You slaughtered him. I slaughtered him. And when you identify with him, when you met, when you announce your allegiance to him, you come alongside him. His sacrifice covers you and you are saved to the uttermost. You know, Paul says in Romans, he covers all this stuff in Romans. He, he says, man's nature is this. There's none good, not one. There's no one that does good. No one that does good. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all like sheep. We've gone astray. I know what I should do and I don't do that. I know what I shouldn't do and I do that. Who will save me from this body of death? Paul lays it out pretty plain. We are in need of a sacrifice. And his response to all that was, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has made a way. And the sacrifices, these five sacrifices covered in the first seven chapters of Leviticus show different facets of that way. But in essence, at the very core of it all, sacrifice and the shedding of blood is necessary. The sacrifices at the tabernacle are a picture of the ultimate sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice. If those sacrifices uh, in the tabernacle and later in the temple were to have everlasting significance, we'd still be having them today. God would not, sovereign God would not have allowed that sacrificial system to stop. But the fact is, it was a picture pointing to the day when Messiah, the Lamb of God, would give his life. So that's what these five sacrifices in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, that's what they point to. 
This is the gospel. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The once for all sacrifice. If this in any way, shape, or form speaks to your heart and you have not yet bowed your need to God, this would be a great time to do that. He has made a way. He has made a way for you to have restored fellowship with him and have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you're going to be saved. That's what the Bible says. And that's what this points to. And that's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. There is a sacrifice. I don't know if I can put it any plainer than that, but that's the 10,000 foot view of the first seven chapters of Leviticus. Folks, that's it. I'm out of here. This is Paige. Have a great day. Bye-bye.